Welcome to Timeless Truth with Pastor Jim Thomas, a resource of the Village Chapel in Nashville, Tennessee. This week we'll be taking a deeper dive into the second chapter of Ephesians. What is the God of the Bible like? What has God done for us in Christ? In this chapter, the Apostle Paul presents us with a catalog of contrasts that leave us speechless in wonder and worship. We pray this study of the timeless truth of God's Word will give you a sturdier trust in our Lord this week. If you'd like to learn more about the Village Chapel, visit our website, thevillagechapel.com. Now, here's Pastor Jim. Good day, folks. Pastor Jim Thomas from the Village Chapel here in Nashville, Tennessee, with your daily devotion. We're walking through Ephesians together, about 15 to 20 minutes a day, Monday through Friday, and uh, taking a chapter a week. There are six chapters, so it'll be six weeks in Ephesians. I hope you'll subscribe uh, on whatever platform you're listening or watching on so that you don't miss an episode. And also, you might find some show notes there. Uh, If you don't, you can wander on over to the villagechapel.com website, and you should be able able to access those uh, notes that we have in our study of Ephesians together. Looking at chapter 2, verses 11 through 18 today. Some theologians have said this is the high point of the letter. Some theologians have said, here is Paul's solution to all that divides us or separates us. Uh, And both on a vertical level separates us from God, but also on a horizontal level, all that separates us from one another. And that's really pretty amazing. Religious issues were massive back in Paul's day. Um, especially the acrimony or the enmity between Jews and Gentiles. Um, And that level of contempt that they held for one another might have been greater. I I know it's hard for us to believe if I'm going to say this, but it might have been greater than what we've experienced in our own day and time in terms of culture wars or political um, uh, divisiveness that runs rampant through our culture. And yet here comes Paul, a Jew himself, called by Jesus Christ, a Jew, to go out to be sent as an apostle to the Gentiles with the good news on offer, with the gospel on offer to the Gentiles. This would have completely flabbergasted and upset a bunch of Jews as we read throughout the New Testament that it does. And so Paul, as he is writing to some of these churches that he establishes, and Ephesus is one of them, um, one of the churches he loved and spent, I think, three some three, three or so years, as we read about in uh, Acts chapter 19 together, really loved them and wants them to be united in Christ, even though they're diverse in background. Well, let's see what he says in verses 11 and following. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now, In Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself, meaning Christ, for he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing, or some of your English translations will say nullifying, in his flesh, 
the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. So this Old Testament prophecy that is basically talking about how Jesus and how the Messiah, Isaiah 57, how the Messiah would come and preach the peace of God to those far away, which would be the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, that would be the Jews, For through him we both, Jews and Gentiles alike, have our access in one spirit to the Father. Man, there's so much there and uh, so much to mind. I'm going to give you, uh, just if we can, and he's, Paul's great at sort of lists. I love his lists. I I love, even though he doesn't set it up and it's not printed out as a list, um, there are five things, literally five things in two different categories here. For the second time, the Apostle Paul is showing us kind of a before and after picture. Before Christ and after Christ. Now that you're in Christ, in other words. And there's five things about our before Christ and five things about our after Christ, as uh, after we've been placed into the body of Christ, if you will. And I'll just list them for you real quick. You'll see them. Look at verse 12. If you're if you're reading your Bible, if you just if you're just listening, that's fine. I'll make it real clear what these five things are. He says, "Remember," and it, by the way, this is the only imperative in chapters one, two, and three. There's not another imperative to be found. Um, there's no other command. Everything else is just indicatives. Uh, these are. These are the things that Christ has done. These are the things that God has done for you in Christ. And here comes the one thing he tells us to do in chapters one, two, and three. Remember. (laughs) And he's going to say, he's going to remember, he's going to say, remember your past. And also remember now you can walk in these indicatives as he's headed for what will become very practical um, imperatives and, and practical theology in chapters four, five, and six. Here are the things he wants us to remember from our before Christ. Uh, one, we were separated from Christ, and that's what sin does. It separates us. And if your sin hasn't been dealt with, you're separated from God. You're separated from others. You're even being separated from your yourself, your true self. The, the, the person that God really created you to be. Sin is a separator. And um, so he says, remember that. Um, you were separate from Christ. Secondly, you were not counted among God's people. Well, you're saying, I didn't quite hear that. What? How does he word that? Well, it's, it's just very clear here. He says, you were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. Israel, they were God's chosen people at the time. And now, of course, the gospel has gone out to the entire world. And Paul himself is a Jewish man who was sent to the Gentiles to preach the gospel. And and all of the disciples and apostles were sent out into the world to preach the gospel, to, to, to make sure that everyone knows that a new world has begun, that a great reversal has happened, uh, that the darkness and despair of death and the divisiveness that separates us from God and separates for us from one another and even separates us from our true selves. All of that has been dealt with in Christ. And so Paul says, remember, 
You were separate from Christ. You weren't among God's people at the time. Three, you were strangers to God's covenant promises. And that just means strangers are just kind of adrift, uh, uninterested, passing through, not really interested, not really resident, not, not taking up residence in this at all. Strangers, didn't, didn't even know, didn't understand it at all. And uh, it'd be like being in a foreign land, not being able to speak the language or understand any of the customs. Before you were separated from Christ, before you weren't counted among God's people, before you were strangers to the promises, you were living life without any promises. And therefore, fourthly, you were without hope. Mm. Wow, before Christ, without hope. Mm. And fifthly, without God in the world. And that's a re- that was a really interesting phrase for me to just sit and dwell on. I was thinking about the ultimate despair to be cut off from the source of life, from the source of truth, from the source of goodness and beauty itself, our creator, to be completely cut off from God's presence in my life, cut off without God in the world. That's the darkness of the before. And then those two words, I love the two words, um, verse 13, if you're you're looking at it. But now, and then the two words that follow that, in Christ, okay? It reminds me of what he did earlier in the chapter. Um, The bad news was verses one, two, and three, you were formerly dead in your trespasses and sin. You walked according to them. You were enslaved to sin. Um, uh, all of that there. And then he, then and then the good news came in, in verse four. But God, and and it's kind of like that same kind of thing is going on right here in verses eleven through eighteen. Verse eleven, the bad news. Uh, verse eleven and verse twelve. Verse thirteen is the pivot. But now in Christ, and that's a big change. Uh, And there are five things there uh, that are true about us once we are in Christ, once we have trusted our lives to Jesus, our hearts, our souls, once he's become our Savior and our Lord, because he called us, we responded in faith and in repentance, and now we are in Christ. And this is this is what has happened. He articulates it so beautifully. But now in Christ, you who were formerly far off have been brought near. That's number one. You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Wow. He did that. See, so often a lot of people think, well, I was out searching for God and I finally found God. And we'll talk, people will talk that way about people who got religion or whatever. And they'll say, yeah, they found God. And really what has happened is, God found them and opened their eyes to himself. God did that. Um, He's the one that's always the initiator. We're always the responder. And we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's the finished work of Christ on the cross. God loved us so much. He didn't just come and push a button. He didn't just come and give us a a little uh, sort of a formulaic prayer to pray. No, he actually died on the cross. His blood was shed. And we remember that when we take communion together. It's about remembering, just as even Paul is saying here, remember the before and then remember to walk in the now and this new uh, sort of the after Christ has uh, entered your life. 
And so there's a remembering that's very important for us. Uh, yes, there's some forgetting that there's some things that we're to leave behind. And we'll be talking about that as we get into chapters four, five, and six as well. But for now, we need to remember uh, not only who we were, but now we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. If uh, a lack of proximity to God was our before problem, Jesus Christ has mitigated our problem when he died both in our place and for our benefit. And now we have been brought near. Um, proximity is now ours. We're near to God and the nearness of God will always be our good. So first of five things that describe what is true about us now that we are in Christ as we've been brought near. Secondly, Christ himself is our peace. I love that. Right there, he says in verse 14, for he himself is our peace. And it it's a kind, it's the kind, the peace of God is the kind of peace. Uh, Paul would write this in Philippians chapter four, that passes all understanding. It's mind-blowing. And some of you know this, don't you? You remember, you can look back on a time when you don't know how it happened. You don't, you don't even remember necessarily the moment it happened, but a settled peace came over you in some big decision or, or some choice you had to make, some tough choice maybe even you had to make, or some suffering you had to go through. And there came over you some kind of a peace that you could not explain other than to say it was the peace of God and it passes comprehension. And the Apostle Paul says there in Philippians 4 that this peace of God that passes all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds. And then, it, and then he says, in Christ Jesus. Oh, that's so beautiful. So first, um, we have Christ bringing, drawing us near. Second, he himself is our peace. Thirdly, Christ break down, he breaks down the barrier walls of division between us and others. And that's listed right here as well. Um, he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. That's so powerful. What he's talking about there would have been so important to them in their day and time in the categories in which they think. And I wonder if you have been separated from someone else in some way, uh, if there's division between you and another individual, or perhaps you're a member of a group and you see another group as the uh, repugnant others. And I wonder if you would allow Jesus to break down the barriers that separate you, um, that have divided you. What would happen if we started to actually believe this and to walk in it, to remember how we were just all the time divided, but how now in Christ we can be reconciled not only with God, but on a horizontal, that grace of God that's so amazing that, that, that descends from God to us, from the vertical to us, can also be shared in a horizontal way that has an impact on our relationships. Um, so yeah, Christ has drawn us near. Yeah, Christ himself is our peace. Third, Christ breaks down the barrier walls of division between us and others. Four, Christ puts enmity itself to death. Doesn't just sweep it under the rug. Um, doesn't just hose it off and it's going to get dirty again. Um, because of the finished work of Christ on the cross, because of his resurrection, oh, how amazing is his grace. And it is the kind of power that's available to you and available to me, um, as, as we saw in, in, in our earlier study, that he has actually done this 
this kind of work within us uh, that it affects permanent changes. Doesn't mean we don't have to work hard at our relationships here on earth uh, between now and the second coming when when Christ comes not only to um, uh, to 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 uh, set the world to rights, but also to set us to rights. Um, and and yes, our our salvation deals with our past, the penalty of sin. It deals in our present with the power of sin. But one day when he returns, he's going to even deal with the presence of sin at all. So the 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 penalty of sin, the power of sin has been dealt with, and the presence of sin is going to be dealt with in the future. But even now we can be walking in this peace that Jesus offers us. This reconciliation, this ministry of reconciliation, we've received reconciliation with God and he's given us the ministry of reconciliation on a horizontal uh, level to to live it out together uh, in this world and especially within the church. Lastly, Christ nullifies or sets aside the requirements of the law. I'm I'm gonna talk about it from that standpoint, verse 15. By, it says, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two, Jews and Gentiles, into one new man, establishing peace. Hmm. So the word uh, in the Greek, the, the word that is translated in my English Bible here, abolishing in his flesh the enmity. Um, the target is the enmity. Um, the law itself of God is good. Uh, it shows us where we've gone wrong. It shows us that we need help. It shows us that we need actually outside help. And Christ has come to bring us that outside help. He lived the life that none of us can live so that when he died, he could die the death that none of us could ever have died. That is, he himself took my sin with him on the cross because he was sinless himself. The apostle Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians 5.21, where he says, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. There's another in him, in Christ, if you will, okay? So all of that was done so that Christ could put to death this enmity, this division. He is the Prince of Peace, And his grace that reconciles us to God can just as mightily reconcile us to one another. Who wouldn't want that? All right, just a couple of quotes. One from John Stott. He says, there is no peace like peace with God. It is peace with God as an objective fact, which is the foundation of the peace of God as a subjective experience. Think, let that sink in a little bit. In other words, the indicative that we can have peace with God um, is an objective fact of Scripture. And that is the foundation of this peace of God that we can have as a subjective experience, this peace of God that passes all understanding, that settles in us and gives us a right relationship with God and enables us to have a right relationship with others. D.A. Carson is a very well-known, especially New Testament scholar. I have such great respect for him as a Bible teacher and uh, uh, and as a, as a Bible scholar. He says in uh, one of his books, he says, what binds us together is not common education, common race, 
common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything else of that sort. Christians come together, not because they form a natural co-location, but because they have all been saved by Jesus Christ and owe him a common allegiance. In this light, we are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. Hey, today, let's remember our before, but let's live in our after. In other words, let's allow the past to humble us, to keep us honest and inspire gratitude to God for what he has done for us in the person and work of Jesus. And then because of all that Jesus has done for us, let's walk in the light of God's grace, which was given us as a gift. Uh, This salvation by grace through faith in Christ And let's walk in the light of that truth, the truth that can set us free and inspire us toward loving obedience to God and right relationships with our neighbors. Amen? Amen. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to today's study. Take a moment to leave a review and share this episode with friends and family. You can stay connected by signing up for our TVC Resources newsletter or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. At The Village Chapel, we believe God's Word is unique in its source, timeless in its truth, broad in its reach, and transforming in its power. For more resources or to support our ministry, visit our website, thevillagechapel.com.